Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. We are in the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs. We are in chapter 5. We're going to recap a little bit from chapter 4. I would love to kind of give you a full recap of all the chapters because there's so much good stuff. If you do not, uh, if you missed them, if you didn't hear the, the early ones, they are recorded. If you have an Android phone, you can go to your podcast app on your Android phone. Um, if you didn't know that, it has a podcast app. Um, if you love Jesus and you use an iPhone, then what you can go to your um, uh, podcast app on there, search Fellowship Regional Church. You can pull, you can pull up this series, and you can listen to the first couple. Uh, we go through this every year, year and a half, something like that, uh, because we are a church full of young couples, and. Um, when you're a church full of young couples, this is a topic that we have to address often. At least at my house, it's a topic that I have to address often. My wife and I will be married 17 years um, in, uh, in July. And still, often, we have to go back to the basics of, okay, so what we did before that worked doesn't work anymore. Now we have to reconfigure this thing and figure out what works now. Because our life has changed, our, our careers have changed, our kids have changed. Maybe we need to redo the structure just a little bit. So it's good for me. And so because it's good for me, you have to endure what's good for me. So we are in chapter 5, but chapter 4 is the honeymoon. We talked about several different things uh, in this. Um, his words to her in chapter 4 are very tender. He takes his time. Um, this is their wedding night, and he's not rushing through it. He's not looking at her as an opportunity to please himself. He's going into this relationship with the idea of, I want you satisfied and happy as well as myself. And so that's where he begins, and his words are very, very tender. He doesn't kiss her until halfway through the chapter. And it's just a very, very slow, oftentimes I think about, we rush through life so fast. And I think what happens inside of our marriage is very much the same way. We get so used to somebody. Here's a phrase that I heard the other day. It's that, uh, it's that phrase, uh, well, I, I already caught her. I already caught her. So does that mean I should still chase her? Ladies, what's the answer? Yes, I already caught her. Should I chase her? <laughs> yes, you should. Listen, look at everything in life like you're still in the third or fourth grade, maybe fifth grade, right? If you like her, you chase her. I don't care how many recesses you have a day. You get on the playground, you chase her. Girls, if you like them, hit them, you know? It's kind of how that works. Maybe, maybe, don't, maybe don't hit anybody, but... Um, he's very tender. Here's also something that's very interesting. In the very first chapter, she uses three cardinal directions. She uses three cardinal directions. Let me give them to you. Chapter 1, verse 4, the first part of 4, take me away with you, let us hurry. Means this, take me away with you, let us hurry. It's this idea. 
um, Chase Me West. Chase Me West. The very next line of, of verse 4 in chapter 1. Um, Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Bring me to the south. So first she says, first she says, chase me west. Then she says, bring me to the south. And then in verse 6, it says this. Do not stare at me because I am dark. I have been darkened by the sun. I have been darkened by the east. Is what it means. So three of the four cardinal directions. What is missing? North. North is missing. There's also a couple of things happening here. She says to him a couple of different times in their relationship, as the relationship started to get physical, let his, let his right arm, what was the phrase? Let his left arm uh, be under my head, his right arm embrace me. And then she says, by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And they draw that line of purity in the sand. Twice this happens. And they draw this line. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Okay? So now here we are at the honeymoon. And look at chapter 4, verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 16. Listen to the words that are used. Awake north wind. Three cardinal directions. She draws her line in the sand on where the physical part of the relationship should stop. And then at the honeymoon, what does she say? Awake, love now. Do not arouse or awaken love two times before. Then she says, now, awaken love. And she also says, north wind. There's this idea, there's this idea, and I don't, I don't know how much stock to put in it. Um, I've just done a little bit of research on it. What they call kind of like the Jewish medicine wheel. And what they, they're, the cardinal directions, this is the way they break it up. Uh, west is a place of blending. The south is a place of cleansing. The east is a place of shining. Do you know what north is? North is the place of mystery. And so there's this very, her receptiveness of his um, tenderness brings about a very, a very intimate conversation between the two on their wedding night. And so she says, awake north wind, come south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread, above, uh, spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Okay, chapter 5, Solomon speaks. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Scripture says that the two become one. When we embark in a marriage relationship with somebody else and we move into this intimate, above all other relationships, it is the closest, most intimate relationship that we have. When we move into that relationship, there is this blending of souls that happens to us. We merge in a way that is, uh, that is divine. And God does this. It's the way we're made. It's the way that we've been created, that we merge on a soul level. When this happens, the deed of your body, the deed of who you are, 
is then signed and handed over to the other person. And the other person's is signed and handed over to you. See, here becomes this, here comes this mutual respect, mutual consideration relationship to where it's no longer the old days of to where you hear some man say, well, you know what your job is because, and you hear this within the fundamental movement a lot. Well, this is the way it's supposed to be at home. When the man wants to be intimate, the woman's job is to do it. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty rigid. What scripture says is this. You are no more the owner of your body and soul as they are the owner and body of their own soul. Look at this verse. It's in 1 Corinthians. Let me read this to you. First Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. Now for the matters that you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Anytime there's a problem inside of our marriage, you can mask it with your language. You can mask it with your face. You can go to, have you ever been in the dating night at this one? You get ready to go somewhere and for some odd reason you're going to go somewhere and there's going to be some friends there and you're going to be hanging out and you get in some squabble on your way, you know, and you're in this terrible argument and then all of a sudden it's like, what are we going to do? Listen, I'm telling you right now, this is, uh, this is terrible. I can't believe you do this. But like now you're late and you, and you come walk, standing at the other, ding dong, because I'm telling you, hey, how's it going, you know? Put your arm around each other. You pretend like it's okay. You fake it. You have people coming over to your house. And you're in an argument and the doorbell rings and all of a sudden, magically, you can just get over it. Hey, it's good. It's fine. It's, hey, come on. No, it's good. She's just been cooking away in there. It's just been so... And this is what we do. We go, we can mask it in so many ways. You know where you can't mask it? You can't mask it in the bedroom. You can't mask it. If there's a problem, that's where it shows up. The place to where we are most intimate, most vulnerable, this is where it shows up. You will know. It is crazy because just the, the, the amount, of, the amount of, of pretending that we do in other areas of our life. Because, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to step on his toes. I don't want to make her mad. I don't want to upset the, you know, the, the, the balance of the house. I don't want to do this. I don't want to fight. I don't want to... And we will do a whole lot of pretending like it's all okay, but then it shows up. It just shows up. So there's got to be a point to where we're willing to step forward and say, you know what, I need help. We need help. <laughs> she needs help. He needs help. You know, whatever it is, we need help. You know, and have that humility to do that very thing. 
Okay, the friends speak up. Chapter 5. Eat, O friends, and drink. Uh, eat, O friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O lovers. Okay, so here we are. Verse 2. We have just kind of moved past the honeymoon. Things are good. Things have been good. We don't know what the time frame is. This is a poem. Um, it's not an actual story. It's a poem. And what Solomon writes here is very, very interesting. She speaks. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. In quotes, he speaks. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with the dew, the, my hair with the dampness of the night. Okay, do you know what those words, where those words came from? The wedding night. These are honey, this is honeymoon language. Let me tell you a little bit about men. Ladies, if you didn't know this, tell you a little bit about men. This is, this is pretty, we are not very creative at times. Our expectation is that we can use the same rusty lines and it get the same result as before. Go dusting off some old wedding vows and be like, I think this will end like it did on my wedding night. Oh, do you? <laughs> do you think so? You unoriginal piece of crap. Are you serious? No. Find a new, find something new to say. Here he comes in. It's almost like it's robotic. Oh, my dove, my flawless one, you're perfect. Now do your part. Now you be you. I did mine. You be, you be, you know, do the thing that you. And she says, I know. <laughs> Which is terrible and awesome at the same time. This is, this is great. She said, listen to what she says. He says, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. He even kind of paraphrases it, you know. Where before he took his time, now he's just like, you're beautiful, you're perfect, you're, you look great in those jeans. So come on. And she says, oh, yeah, really? That's how, that's how it works? This is where we've got to now? Just snap, snap, get to it? Oh, right, no. No. Her response is this. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet must I soil them again? This is Hebrew for I have a headache. <laughs> I don't really think it is, but it kind of is. She says, verse 4, My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my lover, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen of the city, they found me as they made their rounds in the city, and they beat me, and they bruised me, and they took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. O daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my lover, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. Instantaneously. Now, some of you ladies are running this thing through your head, and some of you guys probably as well. Up on the front side, and I'm talking specifically to married couples here. Up on the front side of that no, that rejection, that disinterest, 
that, whatever. The timing's off. We're not clicking. You've got something that you're harboring that you're holding against him or vice versa. When we get in that place, there's always an expectation. There's always an expectation. He's going to react this way. She's going to react this way. As I heard somebody say at one point, you know what the biggest killer of a marriage is? Expectations. Expectations is the biggest killer in a marriage. I don't know if that's 100% true, but expectations are dangerous. Don't you agree? You get this idea in your mind that this should be this way and then it's not, and then you're just disappointed. We're almost unable to live in that moment of what's going to happen next. How will I react when that happens with whatever happens? But we plan it out. We get strategic, which is kind of like getting manipulative, which is kind of like an arm bar, which is kind of like using someone. And when we back up and we say, I don't know how this is going to go. What's going to happen? Ladies, you would know, like you know, like there's, there's certain times or certain areas of your life that if you respond a certain way to him or you don't respond a certain way, he could get angry. You know the same thing about your wives, men. You got to be careful saying that. You can't talk about her mom like that. Talk about her mom. She goes bananas. I don't, it's no good. If I do this and she doesn't, I, we can't talk about this. We can't talk about money. We can't talk about whatever it is. We disagree on discipline. There's some things we just kind of keep kind of on the, on, the, on the minimal side. That way we just don't upset each other. Her expectation, she just says, no, I'm not interested. What Solomon does is Solomon takes myrrh and he reaches in and he puts myrrh on the very thing that is locking him out of the intimacy with his wife. Cologne, ointment, on the, lack, on the latch of the door. Listen, Solomon is the king. Do you know what he cannot have? Solomon can have anything he wants. He's the king. He's the most powerful man. Nothing in the world stops Solomon from having whatever Solomon wants, except his respect. His respect for her, that she said, I'm not there. And he said, that's okay. And her response is really incredible. Man, there's something really, I mean, for me, this is, this is kind of big, and I think it should be for some of us. When he said, that's okay, she said no, and he said, that's okay. He puts ointment on the very thing that stops him from being able to get to her. He throws blessing on the lock, the thing that keeps him out. It's okay. It's okay. You can say no. You can say no. That's okay. You are independent. You can do what it is that you want to do. At my house, this is the way this works. I have to trust that God is going to deal with her, and she has to trust that God is going to deal with me. Because if not, here's what happens. If I think that she's not going to get dealt with, and I'm unhappy with something she has done or said or whatever, and I get frustrated at her, if I take out my vengeance on her, give her the silent treatment, which I'm not very good at. I've mentioned that before. I talk too much. I, the silent treatment doesn't work for me very good. But I can't use my razor-sharp tongue and dice her up. 
Because here's the deal. The second I step into that role to where I'm now the judge, God has to step out. God cannot deal with her because I'm dealing with her. That means that he would have to approve what I'm doing, which he won't. So he has to step away. So he's not going to work on her. He's not going to work on me. I'm going to choose to take things into my own hands and criticize her or punish her for what she's done. Vice versa. If she chooses to punish me, God cannot step in and deal with my heart or her heart. She's made up her mind. I've made up my mind. The only way for that to happen is for me to bless the problem. Okay, well, this sucks. I was amped up and headed this direction, and she's not there. I can take it personal. What Solomon says is, my head is wet from the dampness of the night. That's the line. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Ladies, let me tell you what that means. I got my teeth kicked in all day long at work. Nobody has done anything I've asked them to do. Nobody. I talked to the boss, and the boss was an absolute idiot about everything. The people that work underneath me, I asked them to do this. They can't do anything. I went to the store, and there's somebody in front of me, and they're just taking up all the, their dear, sweet time. The day has just been terrible. I got a flat tire on the way to work. Everything broke down. Everything in my life is busted to pieces. I am worn slick. I'm just looking for that hammock between two uh, um, palm trees where I can just sit and just, and just coast and drift off. What I'm wanting from you is just to spend some time going to that place that makes everything better. Solomon pours out his heart. Tells her every single thing that he's trying to get off his chest. I'm worn out. This is what I'm looking for. She says, no. Well, I'm not going to pretend like I haven't been in this situation. I'm not going to pretend like some of you haven't been in this situation. As frustrating as it can be. Solomon's response, I can tell you, is better than mine has been. The minute we bless the problem, you know what? That's okay. Our prayers have to turn, men, our prayers have to turn to, okay, Lord, I need you to sustain me. Sustain me. And let God work on her heart. Do you see what happens? She goes out and about. All of a sudden, instantly, she feels this regret and this remorse. You know what? That was selfish of me, she says. She gets up. She goes about looking for her lover. Her lover and what does she do? She realizes that she touches the lock. Oh, my gosh. He's not even mad. That makes it worse. He's not even upset. That makes it so much worse. And I go out and my conscience beats me to pieces. I feel terrible for neglecting him while he's in that state and everything was down for him. And I, I was just being selfish and, and I'm sorry. If anybody sees him, tell him I'm sorry. Tell him I'm sick with love, which is one of the first phrases that she uses earlier. I am faint with love. Love sick. Do you remember the illustration? The cologne, the spray on the old football jerseys. Remember? Just love sick. She says, if you see him, tell him. Tell him I'm love sick. I miss him. Sorry, my fault.
O daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find him, what will you tell him? Tell him, I am faint with love. Friends, verse 9. How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you would charge us so? Listen to what she says. Verse 10, my lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is pure gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the, stream, by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with chrysolite. His body with polished ivory decorated with sapphires. His legs pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. Listen close. This is my lover. This is my friend. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, where has your lover gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your lover turn that we may look for him with you? She says, this is my lover, this is my friend. I'll point something out to you real quick, and this gets a little bit of uh, pushback anytime, I've, anytime I mention it. And that's okay. You're more than welcome to disagree. Um, that's, just, that's just fine because you're entitled to be wrong, right? Um, I don't say that very often with this. I do, uh, and I believe it 100%. When we get in a spot inside of our marriage, inside of our relationships, to where we need to talk to somebody about what's going on inside of us, if you choose somebody of the opposite sex to confide in, you are wrong. You're wrong. If he chooses somebody of the opposite sex to confide in, he is wrong. Save your mother, okay? You can talk to your mother, you know. Ladies, you can talk to your father if you want, right? Maybe a brother. If you choose somebody of the opposite sex, you are wrong. It does not, it does not work. Who does she go talk to? She goes and she talks to other women. She goes and she talks to other women. It doesn't, you don't, nobody introduces a new character here. Oh, and here's Solomon. Here's the friends. Here's the watchman. Here's the Shulamite. And oh, here's Steve, you know? There's nobody else. Nobody else is introduced into the story. So I just dialed up Steve because, you know, Steve has always been, we've just been like BFFs. Listen, can I tell you a little bit about Steve? Steve is just waiting for his turn, okay? That's all Steve is doing. If you happen to know a Steve in your life who is kind of lingering in the sidelines in the wings, all right, Steve is waiting for his turn. He's not a friend, all right? This is a real life thing. And I don't know what the equivalent would be on the other side, but she's waiting her turn too. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. There's a reason Paul writes when he writes. If you're going to deprive one another of marital intimacy, make sure it's just for a short time so that you can pray and then get back together as quick as you can. Why? So that you will not be tempted. So that you will not be tempted. This is what Scripture is telling us. And her, what she models right here is this. She goes and she finds some other women around who she can go and she can talk to. 
Ladies, I would tell you the same thing. Men, I would tell you the same thing. You get in that spot, it would be so much easier to just go get your fix, emotional, physical, whatever it is, by talking to some other lady. In that you can, you can cause pain inside of your relationship, pain to you, pain to somebody else. And that is, a, that is not a real thing. That is not a real thing. There is not a friendship out there that works like that. It's, it's always, it always has a different motive behind it. Always does. So we need to, we need to make sure we, we check on that. Just some of those relationships. They keep a balance on it. Keep a guard on it. Keep an eye on it. Because that's not a safe thing. Not a safe thing. I know I sound like I'm like really militant about this. Um, it's because I am. Too much. See it too much. I hate it. Too much. Too much. It's too easy. It's too, it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. She goes on and on. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. When you find yourself in that place to where things are not clicking good for you personally inside your marriage, we have to reach out and get help. Here's a few ways that men can sin against their wife and against God inside of situations like this. Here's a few ways. Men, because some men are bullies and this is the way they handle things. Uh, number one, you can remind her that if it wasn't for you, she'd still be picking grapes in her brother's vineyard, right? It's a good thing I came along when I did, huh? This deal. Well, this is who you are down here, but when I came along, I... We can sin against God and against our spouse by doing this very thing. By reminding her of where she's been and who she is and you holding that over her head. Here's another way. Explaining to her that there is a castle full of women waiting on you. Well, listen, toots, there's more fish in the sea. Yeah, we wish you'd go throw yourself in it. That's what we wish. Third one. To make her question your love by giving her the silent treatment or being belligerent to her. Causing someone, causing your spouse to question your love is a sin against God and a sin against you. Listen, if Jesus ever did that to you, that would be the end. But he never has. He never has. In verse 10 through 16, she speaks of his greatest qualities. She remembers his wonderful physique, all of the things about him that are wonderful. She speaks all of these complimentary words. There is a thing, guys, about when we bump into these moments of rejection inside of our marriage, and I know I'm not talking to everybody, but when we bump into these moments of rejection, there is a, when we react the right way, there is a depth added to our relationship. There's depth added to it. This woman has said very, 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 very few things to him and about him. The minute that she rejects him and then he doesn't lose his mind, go off the handle, you know, scream and holler at her, withhold his love, the minute that he just responds with Christian love towards her, even though I'm sure he's disappointed, what happens next? She becomes very verbal, 
And she shares everything that's on her mind and on her heart, and she makes it public knowledge. This is a wonderful man. If you see him, tell him that I believe he is a wonderful man. And I can tell you that the result of this is really cool in the next, in the next chapter. Chapter 6. Where has your lover gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your lover turn that we may go look for him with you? Verse 2 of chapter 6. She speaks again. My lover has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spice, to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my lover's, and my lover is mine. He browses among the lilies. Do you know what she says? They said, so did you find your lover? Did you find your husband? And she says, no. But I don't doubt him. I don't doubt him. He didn't go far. His feelings might be hurt. He might be pouting in the pasture somewhere. But I know that he and I are okay. There should always be this rest in the relationship. I've explained this before. In the early years of Katie and I's marriage, one of the things that I, that I believed was couples who love each other fight everything out, get all the details out on the spot immediately because it matters so that nothing's off kilter, nothing's, out, nothing's broken. We just fight, we scream and holler, figure the thing out, and then we just go back to loving each other. My wife had a different understanding of the way love worked. This is the way she thought love worked. If there's a fight that's about to happen, we should both go our separate ways, cool off, come back when we're in a better frame of mind, and then discuss it at that point. To which I said, I think that is the sign of a very bad marriage. And she said, how do you get there? And I said, because, like, you're just going to leave the space between us? Feeling like we're feeling? And she said, don't you think we would cool down? No, I only get angrier the longer time goes on. To which she said, Jared, a sign of a good relationship is one that trusts each other even in the midst of an argument. Because it's kind of amazing, isn't it? How much you can think somebody is terrible and out to get you instantly. I mean, you share a house, you share a bathroom, you share kids, you share your sweetest words, and then they cross you, and you're like, out to get me. I freaking knew it. Like, you? Oh, you've been doing this for 15 years, you. You are that really? Like we flipped the switch. Like you've been, <gasps> you've been scheming for two. This is the the long game, huh? The long game. Isn't that amazing? Just flip the switch and go straight to that deal. Like you've been trying to get me twenty years worth. Doesn't make any sense. What my wife said was, sign of a good relationship is one that there is still trust inside of that. Yes, we don't agree, and yes, we're not getting along, but I trust that at the end. This is going to be just fine. It's okay that we're at odds at this point. We can go our separate ways, come back, discuss it later, and it will be good. So I've had to, have, I've had to adopt that way of thinking because she's right. I was wrong. I want to mash it into the ground. Mash it, beat it into the ground, pound away at it, and then be like, so let's never have this conversation again. So I don't think terrible things about you. And she's like... No, it's okay. It's okay. We don't need to discuss it now. We can let this thing breathe. 
I love you, you love me, I trust you, you trust me. Oh. The Shulamite responds by saying, they said, have you found him? She says, no, but I'm not worried. He's a good man. He's not going anywhere. I trust him. He's a good man. And I'm not going anywhere. There's a line in verse, uh, verse 5, last uh, verse 16. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Anytime I read through, um, anytime I read through commentaries on the Song of Solomon, there's this thing that commentators do. Nobody ever wants to look at this book and say, oh, this is a picture of uh, marriage. Like this is about husbands and wives. Yet the Jews wouldn't let the, the boys that grow up, they wouldn't let the boys read this until they were like, I don't even remember. Do you remember what the age was? It was like 17, 18. They wouldn't let the boys, the Jewish boys, read this book until they were 17 and 18, which is funny because their interpretation of it was this. Oh, this is God's love for, the, for Israel. But you can't read it until you at least turn 18. Like this is the mindset. So when you read the commentaries on it, You'll start to read it and you'll get to some line and they'll be like, oh, this is obviously Christ's love for the church. Well, that's weird. That's a, that's a, weird, that's a weird connection. I tell you what's not a weird connection, though, is that she says he is my lover and he is my friend. And what Scripture says about Christ is this, that he is the friend of sinners, which is a... Which is a massive amount of encouragement to me the fact that he would choose to befriend somebody like me you see it's one thing to step in and rescue someone and save them they can't save themselves like a kitten on the highway it's one thing to save something like that that cannot save itself but something that is willing to step out and save us and then befriend me as well that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. If you don't know him and you want to know him, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to sit and visit with you about that, uh, have that conversation with you, um, and tell you all of the wonderful things about what he has done in my life and the life of this church and the people that I know. So let's pray, and we'll get out of here. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, have a wonderful, uh, cool afternoon. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will um, be with us as we go about our business, as we go about our lives. Lord, I pray that you will bless our marriages, bless the lives and the marriages of those who are in this church so that we can leave an impact on this community. God, we, uh, we recognize that the brokenness of marriage is not just those outside the church. It's also inside the church. It's completely indiscriminate. When troubles come, we pray that you will strengthen us, give us wisdom to be able to see the problems, give us answers on how to solve them. Thank you for everything you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day.